0: Hey guys, it's Pastor Irwin McManus. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and joining us from all over the world. Through the launch of my new book, The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace, we're going to be launching book clubs across the world. When you choose to host a book club, you get access to exclusive content, to discussion guides for every chapter, to video content for every chapter, and you get to join me on a live stream Q&A where we'll be dealing with the material, The Way of the Warrior, An Ancient Path to Inner Peace. So host a book club, go to erwinmcmanis.com book club and sign up right now. It's still such a surreal thing for me to be a part of this beautiful process of writing books. I, I, I love writing because in the writing process, I discover so much about myself, about my own journey, about my own questions. And... And each book along the way has come from a different place, a different part of my own journey. And, and not just my journey, but the journey of the people whose lives I'm impacted by and who I come across along the way. This book came in sort of an unusual way, at least its beginning. My wife Kim and I were driving through Hollywood, going down Vine. And, and if you've been married for 35 years, there's a lot of times you're driving and neither one of you are talking. You're just both thinking about different things, but you're together. And as we were driving together in a moment of reflection, I cannot explain it any other way, but I heard this voice inside of my soul. And you might think that's a little odd, but I know you hear voices too. You just don't admit it. (laughs) I heard this voice, and it said these exact words. The warrior is not ready for battle until he has come to know peace. This is the way of the warrior. And the moment I heard that, I, I... I interrupted Kim and her thoughts, and I, and I said, I, I know what my next book is. It's The Way of the Warrior, and I knew the first line. I had no idea what the second line would be or what anything else in the book would become, but I knew the first line of the book. And what I've come to realize over the years is that, is that inspiration is, is that moment where seemingly disconnected experiences and thoughts and insights crash together and allow you to see something new, something fresh. And so I can look back and realize what created that moment. One, I, I love Asian films. My, one of my favorite films of all time is Seven Samurai. I, I, I have seen that movie so many times, I don't even know if I can remember how many times. And, and of course, I've also seen The Magnificent Seven was just a takeoff of The Seven Samurai. But not only do I love The Seven Samurai, I also love Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. I was there at the premiere. I think I was the only person who did not speak Chinese. And so I knew when to laugh and when to ooh and ah because I just went with everyone there. And and one of my prized possessions is a signed poster of Crouching Tiger by Ang Lee. And I also, well, love Hero, one of my favorite movies of all time, The, the cinematography, the imagery. The story is so powerful and so compelling. And I realized that one of the things that always inspires me is that in these particular stories, the hero has always been a person of peace in a world filled with war. That This was never a person that was prone toward violence or aggression, not a person who needed to prove themselves or or to demonstrate their strength. This was always a person that somehow found how to be centered, how to live a life of peace, until they realized that they would never know peace if they would not fight for it. Which is where we're going to start. We're gonna start with code one. The warrior fights only for peace. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but human beings are pretty extraordinary. I mean, we've pulled off some pretty incredible things. We learned how to, how to capture fire, which is no small thing. And then later we figured out how to control electricity, which is phenomenal. We are the species that created radio and television that found a way to communicate through invisible waves and spread our message across the world, how to translate images house to house, home to home, person to person. We are the people who learned how to control nuclear power and capture solar power. That's what our species did. We're also the species that figured out how to land on the moon, and now we can have domestic flights out to space. We're the species that invented the internet and the iPhone. (laughs) What other species can say that? (laughs) Isn't it odd that we're the species that could invent so much, and yet we've never been able to bring world peace? How is it possible that something that's so much more essential, so much more critical to the human story, seems to elude us? And we keep innovating and inventing. We keep creating. And discovering, but somehow this thing called peace that we need both as a species and as individuals. And yet it keeps eluding us that we have thousands of years of human history to prove that we're incapable of creating peace. Why is that? Well, one thing that has become clear to me is that the world is at war because we are at war. War rages all around us because there's a war that rages within us. And the only way we're ever going to have world peace is if we can find inner peace. Because you cannot bring to the world what you do not have. So all those thoughts were intersecting in that moment. And, and not just those, but, but just the reality of the people that we interact with all the time. L.A. is an amazing city. You guys are amazing And people come from all over the world to be a part of this city. And and it's almost as if we glean the best of the best from all over the world, from Tulsa to Tokyo, from Birmingham to Berlin. The whole world comes here, the most talented, the most gifted, the most attractive. The world doesn't look like you. (laughs) The most passionate, the most educated, The most extraordinary people on the planet come to this city. And in fact, the number one export of Los Angeles is creativity. But the number one import is brokenness. The same humanity that looks so extraordinary on the outside is so devastated on the inside. If we have an unusual amount of creativity in the city, we have a disproportionate amount of depression and anxiety and stress. This is the city that is in panic, not because of the violence in the world. They're in panic because of the violence in their souls. There's some of you here that have been paralyzed by panic attacks. There's some of you here right now that you haven't even broken 30 yet, and you're on medication, fighting your depression, fighting your despair, dealing with your stress, dealing with your anxiety, and your internal world is in turmoil. And it gets worse. Some of you, you believe in God completely. You believe in Jesus completely. You've trusted him with your life. And you're supposed to be better. But you're not. So you don't know what to do. You don't want to say it out loud because it feels as if it's a violation of your faith. So where do you go when you've gone to God and you've trusted in Jesus and you're still a mess? Where do you go where your inner world is still in turmoil and everything you believe has not carried you through? And when every time you take a risk and you open yourself up just a little bit, when you, when you take the risk of letting someone see inside of the pain and all the brokenness inside of you, they give you cliched responses telling you just trust God. Or they give you a verse that you've known since you were a child and it, it helps you just as much as it did before. What they don't tell you is that even though Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that peace never comes without a battle. It never comes without a struggle. So we're going to talk about the war that ends all wars. Because the war that will end all wars is the war that rages within us. So I want to go to a particular place in the scriptures because I want us to look at one of those individuals that we consider a hero. I I love the fact that that the scriptures have all these heroes, from Esther and Deborah and Ruth to David and, and, and Joshua and Moses. And... But I think sometimes, you ever pretend you've read the Bible, but you really never have? Yeah. You, you, know, you know about some of the characters, but you've never really read about them, so you keep thinking, oh, I wish I could be like them. I, I, I wish I could live like David or, or I have a life like Joshua. I wish I could have a life like Esther or Ruth. I'm telling you, you don't. See, the reason you think you want a life like them is because you only know the highlights. And you're trying to compare their highlights to your life. But in between their highlights was their life. And I want you to know that in between those spectacular, extraordinary moments was real struggle and real pain. So I want to look at an individual named Elijah, because I love Elijah. Because before... Marvel and DC, and before Stan Lee, and before X-Men, there was Elijah. <laughs> and if you don't know much about Elijah, Elijah's a guy whose story is pretty extraordinary. And it says he was, he was a person just like us. They want you to know that. Because he was a person just like us that lived a life that was very different than us. He was a person just like us. And he prayed. It did not reign for three and a half years. That's pretty epic. Try to speak. To the heavens and say stop it will not go well for you (laughs) and so for three and a half years it did not rain then when he prayed again it rained in between he prayed about other things elijah's the guy that that had to go against 950 false prophets because the people of israel being pulled to worship false gods and so he said look we need to put a stop to this so we're going to do this let's build two altars you build an altar I will build an altar. You pray to your gods. I'll pray to my God. ever God is the real God, they will send fire down from heaven. And all the people listening said, that's a great idea. That would be kind of epic, right? That's next week. (laughs) And so those 950 prophets, they built their altar and they cried out to their God all day long. But nothing happened. It's really hard to move a God that does not exist. So they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, nothing happened. And, and then they, they slashed their bodies because their, their, their religion was so dark that it told them their gods demanded their mutilation, their pain, their suffering. Don't let anyone tell you that all religions are the same. And Elijah's over here watching them. And Elijah's not really the most compassionate person in the Bible. He's sort of a jaded stand-up comic. And the whole time while they're praying to their gods, he's like, whoa, where is your God? (laughs) He's not, he's non-responsive. Maybe you need to pray louder. maybe he's like not hearing. I I love one, and it's translated so delicately in the Bible. But at one point, Elijah says, I think your God may be constipated. (laughs) As he says, he says, I think your God is sort of like indisposed and, um, having a moment, so he might have to wait a little while before he's free, and it's this beautiful moment, they just, and they're just going more frantic in their, in their attempt to move their God, but you cannot move a God who's not moved by you, and, and then when they were finished, it was Elijah's turn, and he had to make it more dramatic, so he said, just pour some water on this altar. Let's just drench the altar and, No, more water. Just do it again and again and again and again. It was just drenched in water. And then he prays a very, very simple prayer. It's more like, God, you got this. He prays, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes not only his altar, but their altar and a few people. (laughs) That's just how the story goes. I'm just telling you. This is the moment, right before the moment that we're going to step into. So in 1 Kings 19, beginning in verse 1, after this epic moment in Elijah's life, it says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now in case you don't know the characters, Ahab and Jezebel were two of the most malevolent leaders in history. Evil, malicious, violent And one of the ways you can know that is that no one names their daughter Jezebel. If you just happen to be here and your name is Jezebel, I am so sorry. And Ahab's not that popular of a name either. And so Ahab tells Jezebel, the king tells the queen, everything Elijah had done, that he had called down fire from heaven and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. He had a legend already. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of them. Summarize, I'm going to kill you. You know what Elijah would do, right? If you just brought fire down from heaven, you just stood one against a thousand and you came out as the only one walking. If you just saw fire come by your command, and now that this, this woman named Jezebel sends a message, I'm going to kill you, how would you respond? I'd go, bring it on, woman. <laughs> My middle name is Firecaller, you come. It's gonna be scorched earth when you get over here. But he doesn't. In fact, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What? We do that, but we don't expect him to do that. Have you ever thought to yourself, if I could just have one miracle, I'm, I'd be good? You ever thought that? Like, if God could just show up one time, then I would believe. And there's some of you, you actually believe, but, but you don't have enough faith to step into the life God calls you into. You're like, God, just give me one, one spectacular moment, and I'll never doubt you again. Except You would. Because Elijah sees fire coming up from heaven and the next moment he's running for his life because Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. Now, I know women are powerful. (laughs) But there's more going on than that. I wonder how many of us are running for our lives not because of the reality of what's about to happen, but because of the fear of what might happen. Have you ever noticed that You can find a lot of courage to face things that no one expects you to step up for. I've seen you. I've seen some of you live the most courageous lives. I've seen some of you step up in the middle of incredible hardship and obstacles. I've seen you find a level of courage that surprised everyone around you, even probably surprised you. The strange thing about it is that the house could be on fire and you'll run in and save seven people. And then when your car runs out of gas, you're going, why, God, I can't do this anymore. (laughs) Isn't it odd that what usually paralyzes us, what usually cripples us, is something we can't actually define as that significant. He faced his enemies, and then when the rumor comes, he runs. I think this is the way fear and anxiety work. Sometimes you can identify the cause of your fear, but once it becomes anxiety, it's connected to nothing that's real. See, most of the time, what we fear is not anything that's actually real. We fear the possibility of something becoming real. and Which I think is interesting, because I meet a lot of people who say, I'm beyond faith. I'm too developed, I'm too intelligent, I'm too educated, I'm too sophisticated to have faith. But they're not beyond fear. Now, how odd that you're beyond faith, but you're not beyond fear. Because all fear is, is a negative faith in the future. See, if you are living with fear, you are actually living with faith. It's just the dark side of faith. So if you can't seem to escape fear, then you might as well accept the fact that you're already living by faith. So if you're being affected by the dark side of faith, why don't you step into the light side of faith? Because fear is is a projection of the worst possibility for the future. And faith is the projection of the most beautiful possibility of the future. But he is afraid, and so he runs for his life. And then it tells us that, that when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. Now, I want you to notice that something is happening here. In in Elijah's most epic moment, he finds his moment of greatest fragility. Have you ever noticed that success and failure don't come back to back? They happen at the same time. See, what I want you to realize is that success will not make you immune from feeling like a failure. It's an odd thing. See, a lot of us, we, we are, we're driven to succeed because we're trying to overpower this deep sense of our own failure, our own insignificance, our own unworthiness. We're trying to prove that we matter. We're trying to prove that we're worth something. We're trying to prove that we're not an accident. We're trying to prove that we're significant. But no matter how much we succeed, this, this internal emptiness keeps gnawing at us. And if you haven't gotten there yet, I want you to realize that that you can be at the height of your success and at the depth of your despair. And they're not mutually exclusive. We are bi-emotional. I felt it. I, I, I thought those moments of epic success would free me from fear and anxiety and worry. So oftentimes that great success created more room for it, not less. And then what happens is, so oftentimes we actually materialize our greatest fears. Elijah believed he was alone, so he made sure he was alone. He believed he was living in a desert, so he ran into the desert. He believed that God had abandoned him, so he abandoned God. He believed that his life was over, so he prayed that his life would be over. How odd it is that so oftentimes our fears actually become the material from which we create our futures. No wonder we're afraid of tomorrow. You have the power within you to create. And if your life is filled with fear, you will actually create a life you're afraid of. So be careful what you're running from, because it may be what you need to be running to. Because Elijah ran... For his life but he was actually running from his life and it says he went a day's journey he left a servant behind because he he felt alone so he had to make sure he was alone there's some of you here you've created your greatest nightmare and you've blamed it on God or blamed it on others and then he falls under this broom bush he sits down to pray which is kind of odd, but he prays that he might die. Now, there is some humor here. I know it's dark humor, but it is funny. Elijah runs for his life and then has one prayer, kill me. This is the guy that just prayed fire down from heaven. This is the guy that prayed and stopped rain for three and a half years and he can only think of one thing to ask from God. Kill me, now! That should never be your plan A. I'm just saying, Why, what about God, could you take care of Jezebel? How about God, could you raise up an army? How about God, any other option? When you get to the kill me God, you pretty much run out of your own personal creativity. And by the way, some of you should be so grateful that God did not say yes to your prayers. See, God will never say yes when you are praying to give up. He will never say yes when you are settling for less. He will never say yes when you're accepting insignificance. He will never say yes when you've surrendered your life away. Some of you think that God's at war with you. But God is not fighting with you. He is fighting for you. So here's the comedy. God, kill me. Now, what did Jezebel say? I'm going to kill you. So if this is really what you want, I think if I were God, I'd go, I already took care of that. Just go back. I've already answered that prayer. You left it, <laughs> and in this moment, he comes to the end of himself. And I, I think that we should pause here for a moment because he um, he wants to commit suicide. He can't think of one reason to live. Says God, I've had enough. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors, and I I don't know how, but it seems that the two thousand years have passed by without anyone dealing honestly with the people in the scriptures who have wanted to end their lives. That people who who have experienced the pinnacle of what it means to be alive fell so quickly into the abyss of ultimate despair and i am so tired of losing people i love to suicide i have known too many people i have loved i've loved too many people who did not love themselves as much as i loved them i've seen such gifted talented brilliant beautiful people who couldn't find one reason to live one more day. And there's some of you here that are fighting that battle, and I want you to know you're not alone. Yeah. And I, I have known so many people, even now, who, who have, not, have not tried to take their lives, but they have these voices in their head that keep telling them, you might as well just end it. There are more of, of us than would ever care to admit who have had this inner struggle. Why don't you just end it now? There's no reason for you to live. There's no reason for you to go on. You do not matter. The best thing you can do for everyone else is just to end it. And there's some of you here, you don't even have the internal strength to believe that your life matters. What I'd like for you to do right now is I'd like for you to trust us. That you matter. See, if you can't believe in yourself, would you let us believe in you? If you can't love yourself, would you let us love you right now? Because if peace will not come without a fight, I refuse to give up one more person without a fight. And we are here to fight for each other. We are here to believe for each other. We are here to pick each other up. And why don't we just stop pointing out every time someone messes up? Why don't we stop pointing out every time someone falls down and get them up? It's time to end this culture of hate. It's time to stop being neutral against a culture of hate. We need to fight for peace. We need to fight for each other. We need to fight for people. I want you to know that even though success may seem so attractive, it will never make you immune from your feeling like a failure. But, but I want you to realize also that your feelings of emptiness do not mean that God is not present. I, I think this is where sometimes we've gotten confused in our faith conversation. That well, you know, if you have God, you should never feel empty. If, if you believe in Jesus, you should never be depressed, Right? How in the world can you have faith and still have panic attacks? These things seem mutually exclusive. But I want you to know something. If you're dealing with with deep issues in your life, it doesn't mean you don't have faith. It means that you're human. You're being honest with your humanity. And you cannot win a battle that you will not acknowledge that you're in. I am done losing people to a battle they didn't even know they were fighting. And Elijah thought he was alone, but he wasn't. God was there the whole time. And I think it's interesting. He says, God, I've had enough. You ever said that? Even if you don't believe in God, isn't it interesting how we'll still say it to the universe? <laughs> I've had enough. I can't take this anymore. I'm going, Elijah, what are you talking about? Your life is epic. You ever heard someone whine and complain and their life is better than yours? <laughs> I'm trying to empathize, but those are like rich people problems. What are you talking about? Elijah, I've had enough. I'm going, enough. I've never had fire come down from heaven. But here's the odd thing see, when you're filled with despair, when you're losing the war within you, you lose the capacity to see the beauty and wonder all around you. You need to be careful when all you see is everything that leaves you broken. When all you see is bitterness and hatred, when all you see is violence and anger, where all you see is, is fear and anxiety, you are losing sight of life. And once you lose sight of life, you may believe that there's no reason to live. Elijah had so much to celebrate, but he couldn't think of a reason to live. I've had enough, God. He says, I'm no better than my ancestors. What an interesting thing for Elijah to say. I'm no better than my ancestors. It was actually saying, I thought I could be different. I thought I could break through and be different than than my past. I, I, I thought I could leave the worst of me behind. How many of you are carrying baggage that was given to you by your parents? How many of you are carrying bags that was given to you when you were growing up, when you were innocent, when you were fragile, when you were vulnerable, and it's not your fault, but you're carrying it, and it weighs you down. And Elijah's saying, I thought that I could leave that behind, but I'm no better than my past. And I want you to know that, that your past will be your future if you don't have the courage to create a new one. And, and then we get to the, to the God part. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep, which lets you know he was depressed. How many of you, when you're depressed, you just sleep? A lot of you? It's odd. When I'm depressed, I can't go to sleep and I can't wake up. It's bad on both ends. There's some people, when they're depressed, they can't eat. And other people, when they're depressed, they can only eat. I, I go back and forth. I'm not consistent. Sometimes when I'm down, when I'm anxious, when I'm stressed out, and by the way, this is the other intersecting reality, is I'm not talking to you as a person who doesn't know this struggle. I I wish I could talk to you as the person that um, no longer struggles for inner peace. But I'm not that person. And there's some of you that will say, well, at least tell me it's going to get easier. It's not, it's not gonna get easier. You're going to get stronger. A couple of weeks ago, I was so stressed out (laughs) before my wife came left from Malawi that I said, hey, let's go get pizza, which I don't usually do. But I love pizza, especially when I'm stressed. (laughs) So we went and got pizza. I ate almost the whole pizza. And then after we ate pizza, I said, let's go get ice cream, which I never do. But it was a high-level stress day. And if I had had time, I would have gone and gotten donuts. Because I was thinking donuts. I was thinking that pink box. And you might think, well, Irwin, why didn't you just trust in God? But I want you to see what God did next. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him. Oh, this is beautiful. See, if I were God, I wouldn't have touched him. (laughs) I'd have slapped him around. (laughs) I would have said, get your lazy butt off that ground and get up, you whiner. (laughs) I just brought fire down from heaven, and you're running like a (laughs) coward. Coward. What do I have to do, Elijah, to get you to step up and be a man or at least a woman or someone who has guts and courage? Because by the way, someone said, oh, the way of the warrior, it's for men. It's not for men. Some of the greatest warriors I know are women. But... You should be grateful that I'm not God because God just caressed him. He says, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. That doesn't seem very spiritual, right? Get up and eat. That's what God wants him to do. Get up and eat. I want you to realize something. You are a complex creature designed in the image of God. And if your soul is not healthy, your emotions will not be healthy. And your relationships will not be healthy, and your brain will not be healthy, and your body will not be healthy. Have you ever noticed how when your emotions are shipwrecked, your physical health goes to pot? And some of you are actually trying to get physically healthy to hide that you're emotionally unhealthy. And you're trying to look emotionally healthy to hide that you're spiritually unhealthy. So the most spiritual thing you might do is to get up and eat. See, God wants to take care of you. He wants to make sure you get healthy. And he looked around, because he didn't bring any food with him, because he was going to starve and die. He looked around, and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. Now, go with me. (laughs) Baked bread over hot coals little marinara. <laughs> little cheese. <laughs> Mushrooms. Pizza. <laughs> and then you take that baked bread over hot coals. Little cinnamon. Put a little hole in the middle. <laughs> Donuts. <laughs> So don't tell me not to eat carbs when I'm stressed out. Carbs are part of God's process. They're part of, to heal us. And a jar of water sparkling with a twist of lime. And he ate and drank and then lay down again because he did not want to live. Which is what happens a lot if you get up Just long enough to eat badly and go back to sleep. And the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. I love how he both is caring and corrective at the same moment. He said, you need to get up and eat because this is not the end of your story. This is the beginning of your new story. And yes, you're right, the journey is harder than you'd hoped. So get up, because the journey is too much for you. And some of you are mad at God because the journey has been too much for you. But why would God ever call you on a journey that's too little for you? I mean, why would God ever call you to a life that's too small for the greatness he has placed inside of you? Why would God ever call you on a quest that requires less of you and leave no room for God. So of course he calls you to a journey that's more than you can bear so that you can actually open yourself to the God who will take you where you cannot go alone. Uh, So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights. I love this. Running from God, he had the strength to run one day. But walking with God, he could walk 40 days. Some of you are exhausted because you've been trying to do life without the God who created you. And he walks 40 days and 40 nights to orb the mountain of God. How far are you willing to travel to find the God who created you, to find the God who knows you, to find the God who loves you? He goes to the mountain of God And there he went into a cave and spent the night. Now, if the story ended here, it's where many of us would end our stories. I think a lot of us are hiding in a cave, running from life. Some of you, your cave looks like a job you hate. Some of you, your cave looks like a relationship you should not be in. (laughs) Because you're in that job you hate because you do not believe that you have the power to step into the job you love. You're in a relationship you should not be because you do not believe you're worthy of the love that you need. Some of you are hiding in the cave and you haven't stepped out yet. He went into the cave and spent the night and then the word of the Lord came to him which is, I think is the question that God is asking us all. What are you doing here, Elijah? By the way, this question is very similar to the question he asked Adam and Eve. Where are you? See, he knows where you are. And he knows how you got there. He wants to ask you a question. Why have you chosen to stay where you are? See, maybe you're here and you're overwhelmed by life. You're just filled with fear and worry and stress and anxiety. Maybe you're depressed or even to a moment of of despair in your life. How you got there, that's a long story. It may be complicated, but I want you to know you do not have to stay where you are. And God's question for you is, What are you doing here? Because you're created for more. See, if you're here and you're full of fear, you were created for faith. If you're here and you're filled with doubt, you are created to live a life of courage. If you're here and you're filled with hate, you are created to live a life of love. What are you doing here? Man, this is great. I think that was a rhetorical question. Have you ever asked someone a rhetorical question and then they answered it? God asks Elijah a rhetorical question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he, he answers. He says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. That's what I'm doing here. <laughs> Summary of my life, God. Have you not been paying attention? As if God would go, oh. Now I understand why you're here. Some of you keep telling God over and over again, God, it's not my fault. It was my parents, it was my family, it was, it was my circumstances, it was this moment. God, it's my pain, it's my brokenness. You keep giving God all the excuses for why you're staying where you are instead of asking God to take you from where you are to where you cannot go alone. So then God says, oh, go outside. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And so he goes to the lip of the cave on the edge of a cliff. And and the Lord was, he says, go outside and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. And I want you to realize that this is significant. It says the Lord is about to pass by. Because a lot of us want God to stop and stay where we are. But God is never going to stay where you are. Because that would keep you where you are. God is going to move in front of you and call you to himself and move you to the life that you've always longed for. Have you ever noticed that when you're depressed, you get rid of all your undepressed friends? It's true. If you're depressed, you only want to have depressed friends. Because when you hate the world, you just hate that person who loves the world. When you hate your life, you just hate that person who loves their life. Isn't the most irritating person in the world the person who will not sulk with you? You ever notice bitter people are only around bitter people? People who gossip are only around people who gossip. You see, God will not stay with you if you want to stay in your despair. He's going to keep pulling you out of it. He's not going to just sit in your fear. He's going to pull you into your faith. He's not going to just sit in your darkness. He's going to pull you toward the light. And there's some of you here you need to exchange who you're hanging out with because they're just commiserating with your brokenness to justify their own. And then God says this. He said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. I don't think this was incidental because Elijah had seen the fire before. And then it says this. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, whereas one ancient text translates it, there came a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah? Why does God take Elijah through this process? Why does he allow him to see the wind tear the mountains apart and shatter the rocks? And why does he allow him to, to feel the earthquake shaking the ground? And why does he allow him to see a fire come to consume everything that's around him and say, but I am not in those? See, there's some of you, you keep missing God because you keep looking for God in the spectacular. And God wants to meet you in the stillness. God is not impressed with miracles. That's just us. God isn't trying to impress you. He's trying to press against you. And God wants to come in such intimacy into your life that you hear him with this inner voice where he lets you know that you matter, that he loves you, that has not forgotten you, that though you've run so far away that he's just a breath away. And there's some of you here right now, you're saying, how do I find this inner peace? How do I find the peace my soul is desperately searching for? It is not in the spectacular. It's not in the miraculous. The peace your soul longs for comes through intimacy with the God who created you. And that's why the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus said, I, I've come to give you peace Not as the world gives, but as I give. And then he said, but I don't come to bring peace. I come to bring a sword. Now, Jesus, which one is it? What Jesus is actually saying is, I've come to give you peace, but I'm going to fight for it. And how did Jesus fight for our peace? He allowed himself to be beaten and brutalized. He allowed himself to be spat upon and mocked. He allowed himself to be tortured He took all of our violence, all of our rage, all of our anger, all of our darkness, and allowed it to be focused on him. And then he allowed himself to be crucified on a cross so that our rage and violence would have a place to go. And he absorbed it all, and he became our peace. You ever wonder why people are out of control? You ever seen people just get so violent, so Angry, so out of control with rage. I want you to understand that, that violence is not an act of power, it's an act of powerlessness. When people are out of control with anger and rage, it's not because they're more powerful than you, it's because they feel so powerless that they're angry at the universe, at God, at everyone, at themselves. The warrior fights only for peace. And this is why Jesus came, to fight for your peace. To fight for your peace. Because he will not give up on you. He will not allow you to give up on yourself. If my heart is tormented by how many people have lost the fight for their souls, how must it break God's heart to see us drowning in our emptiness, struggling in our despair, paralyzed by our fears. When he knows if we would just trust him, we would know his peace. And it will not come in an instant because that peace is a battle that you fight every day of your life. But that peace, that peace you long for, it's worth the fight. So don't give up. Don't surrender. Choose the way of the warrior and find the peace that your soul longs for. Would you just bow your head to me just for a moment and just close your eyes? I know there's some of you here. Your souls at war. Your inner world is raging. You've been fighting for peace, but you've been fighting alone. See, no one can get into your inner world except you and God. No one else can help you there. It's a battle only you and God can fight. And there's some of you here, you've been fighting this battle, and you've been losing it over and over and over again because you've been fighting it alone. The reason Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead is so that you would never have to fight this battle alone, because he wants to fight the battle for you. So I want to invite you right now. If your soul longs for that peace, if you're ready to trust Jesus with your life, I'm going to invite you to cross the line of faith, to open up your life to Jesus. And if you'll give him your life, he will give you his life. He's been waiting for you all along. So I want to lead you in a simple prayer where you can invite Jesus to change your life. It's not everything you and God need to talk about. It's just the beginning of the conversation. It's just one simple sentence. But if you're here and you're ready to know that peace that only Jesus brings, would you pray this prayer with me right now? Jesus, I give you my life. That's it. It's where it starts. Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him. It doesn't need to be spectacular. There doesn't have to be any fireworks. It's just an intimate moment with you and God. He speaks to you in a whisper. He hears you in a whisper. Right now, just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell them, Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, if you've made this choice to cross that line of faith and to give Jesus your life, I want to pray for you right now. So in this moment, I want you to muster up all the courage you have to not worry about anyone else, to not be ashamed or hesitant. Because I want to pray for you, but I want you to make your first act of faith. Just declaring, yes, I've given my life to Jesus. Yes, I just prayed this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. What I want you to do right now, I want you to hold your hand up high, if that was you, right now, this moment. Right now, if you just prayed this prayer, if you just invited Jesus into your life, if you just crossed the line of faith right now, just hold your hand up high, I wanna see you. I know it's terrifying. But if you can't find the courage in this moment, you're not going to face real life tomorrow. So right now, just find the courage and say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. Yes, I choose you. Yes, I give you me. Father, I thank you for all the women and men who in this moment have opened up their lives to you, who have crossed that line of faith and have stepped into your peace. I pray, God, that that in the same way you spoke to the wind and the waves, Jesus, and said, peace be still, I pray, God, that you would speak to the storms and the turmoil inside of them and speak the same peace, that same stillness, that same calm. And Jesus, I pray that in this moment you would wrap them up in your love and let them know they belong to you, that you'll never leave them or abandon them, that this is the beginning of a new life, of a new future past is in the past. The future is waiting for them. I thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you've just received, allow it to go deeply to your soul, to allow Jesus to do the deep work that only he can do. And I also want to encourage you to be a part of what we're doing here at Mosaic, to go to the Mosaic app and to become a part of the Mosaic Foundation, to become a regular giver and investor in bringing this message across the world. I want to thank you so much for being here with us. God bless you.